EscapingTheCave.com. Also on Facebook and at ETC Pod on Twitter. Escaping the cave. And I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. Howdy, Toddzilla Files, and welcome to Escaping the Cave, Toddzilla Expot on the Christopher Media Network, also on iTunes, over on Google Play, Stitcher, all that uh, good stuff. I usually try to warm myself up going into these shows, not this time. I get a lot. I keep saying that, right? I do. It's truth. <laughs> what a hell of a week we are uh, enduring collectively this week, huh? Donald Trump may be running us to war with Iran. I'm going to totally ignore that this week, except for that. That's how significant these times have become. I don't think I'm being hyperbolic either. So let's just uh, recap the last few days, shall we? (laughs) We're going to start with uh, Steve Cohen. He brought chicken props into the uh, Judiciary Committee hearing. (laughs) A bucket of chicken and a rubber chicken, signifying... Bill Barr. And then the committee voted to hold the Attorney General of the United States of America in contempt of Congress this week. That happened. Is there precedent? I don't know. They intend to bring a vote on the contempt charge before the entire democratically controlled House of Representatives. They intend to do this soon. I keep hearing talk and chatter about this little jail cell that's in the basement. Unreal. Republican Jim Jordan this week, then. I don't know if it was then or if it was before. I'm losing track of the timeline. But either way, Jim Jordan says that uh, Attorney General Barr should get to the bottom of why the Mueller investigation was started in the first place. Investigate the investigators. It's all a coup. Not only that. Oh, no. Trump invoked executive privilege over the entire unredacted Mueller report and its evidence in an attempt to clearly, sorry, clearly obstruct the legislative branch's right to oversight. Not just parts of the report did he exert executive privilege or attempt to, the entire report and all of the evidence. I do not want you to see this, any of it. Oh, there's more. Today, (laughs) President Wordsoup said, John Kerry violated the Logan Act. It's borderline treason. It's not treason. Borderline treason? What is that, sedition? What is it? I don't know. Whatever. He claimed that John Kerry violated the Logan Act. He did this just a couple hours ago today. I'm recording this on Thursday. And I believe I mentioned, if I didn't do it here, I should have, but Trump's BFF, Sean Hannity, outlined a playbook for Trump's investigative counterassault. Investigative counterassault. Just after the Mueller report dropped. Now, right or wrong, it doesn't matter. The basis perception here, you know, is their reality. Are you seeing how this external versus personal truth thing works? Are you seeing it yet? Do you understand how it works? Sacrificing objective truth for your truth, your perception of things, your chosen perception of things. Either way, that was ominous. I saw that a couple of weeks ago. I don't watch Hannity very often. 
I did it as sort of a sort of like an experiment, an informational experiment. I watched about 15 minutes of his show. That's how he started it out. He had an entire playbook, a war room plan for how to investigate the Democrats in response to the Mueller report. Ominous. That's not all today. <laughs> President Word Soup came out and said the report came back perfect. There was no crime. Those words came out of his mouth. The report came back perfect, he said. There was no crime, he stated. Now, look, with apologies to my conservative friends, I have some. I don't know how the hell anyone, at least those still possessing a shred of pride and intellectual dignity, can listen to Donald Trump talk and not be insulted that he actually thinks they're that stupid. Now, of course, I have to add the caveat that a lot of them are. <laughs> but again, that statement was directed at those of you who haven't fully completed the Trumptown lobotomy procedure. How many are left? Has the wound healed yet on the rest of them? The folks who believe this, the folks who desperately want and need to believe this are gone. They're never coming back. But, but, but Hillary, da, 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 Hillary. No, no, no. Just no. Stop it. You're embarrassing yourselves. Now, I just said, just now, <laughs> I just said, I don't know how anyone can hear Trump talk and not be insulted. I said that half in jest. Okay. I do know. It's Jonathan Haidt's idea. It's elephantitis. That's what I'm going to start calling it now. Elephantitis. Because it's a disease, a communicable disease spreading throughout the population, this elephantitis. I just don't really, I guess, want to accept how pervasive the pandemics become. Let me explain just really quick what elephantitis is. Now, again, this is from Jonathan Haidt. It explains so much. Really. The crux of the idea is this. People make moral judgments immediately and emotionally. Immediately. They don't think them through. They feel them with their emotions. Reasoning, if you can call it that, is often the servant of the passions. How you feel. And when the servant, reason, fails to find any good arguments to support the elephant, the feelings, reason doesn't change its mind. That's the rider and the elephant. The elephant, your emotions are in control. The rider, your reason, your ability to rationally think is a slave to the elephant. It's on top going where the elephant leads you. That's the explanation for this. Trump good. Trump good. Democrats bad. Oh, and, and don't sit there and smile too much, liberals. This isn't exclusive to one ideology, one tribe, one camp, one clan, or another. This is a human thing. You're guilty of it, too. Each and every one of us are. Oh, me? Shut up. Yeah, you are. It gets, it gets better because they've done studies on this type of thing. And when challenged to explain their judgments, this will sound really familiar to you if you spent any time on social media at all. When challenged to explain their judgments and have their explanations challenged, a human pattern develops... 
A human pattern. I don't know what that means, but that's what it says. A human pattern develops where people just keep randomly generating reasons. They seem to be flailing around, cognitively flailing around. Sound familiar? Throwing out reason after reason and rarely changing their minds when it's proven, proven, that their latest reason was not relevant to the conversation at hand. Does that sound familiar? It should. Then they ask, when arguments are stripped away, will people change their judgments? Or do they become morally dumbfounded? Clinging to their initial judgments while stammering and grasping for more reasons. Or, in the context of the conversation I'm having with you right now, the monologue, actually, do they run home to mama? The doctrine. The scripture. Post somebody else's thoughts or... Perhaps, if you're lucky, cleverly repackage them. How does that work? That's Jonathan Haidt. That is elephantitis. That is the epidemic, the pandemic. It's a global pandemic being spread by the Internet, particularly social media. This is the social media disease. I am going to be getting back to that. Very, very. I, I wanted to get back to it by now. But for the love of Christ, I can't. Because there's so much here. I, I could literally, literally, I could voice something every single day. I could sit down at this microphone every single day and spit an hour out <sighs> like a mongoose. I don't know. Do mongoose, do they, do they spit? I don't know. I could do it, though. I can't keep up. I can't get to the stuff I really want to get to, the really important stuff of examining why this is happening. Because the flow of events is too fast now. It's ridiculous. Ridic utter utterly ridiculous. <sighs> Meanwhile, <laughs> with all this going on with Trump and his administration, Congress, the melting down of the institutions, Democrats... They still can't decide on whether or not to impeach the impeachment poster child. But they appear at least to be edging in that direction now. I have to give them credit. Finally, both Nadler and Nancy Pelosi have finally admitted what I've been free to say for weeks. This is an acute constitutional crisis. They didn't say acute. I added acute. But this is definitely a constitutional crisis. Finally admitted today. No matter which way you spin it, attacking the separation of powers is exactly that. Pelosi and Nadler representatives have to be more measured and hopeful than I do. I'm a dude on the internet, okay? They're governmental representatives, elected officials. They have to be a little more measured, a little more conservative before they start sounding the alarm bells. And they have been. That time has passed. I have defined this. And termed it and described it, not as a constitutional crisis, but as constitutional hospice. That's how serious this is becoming. The attack on the separation of powers is, is, is that serious. Should be interpreted as that serious, no matter what side of the political spectrum you happen to pitch your little tent on. It's a big deal. Checks and balances are the foundation of American government. And, and like it or not, Trump is not the entire problem here. Most of the blame lies in Congress 
and in its failure to advocate for its own primary purpose as a check on executive power. They've surrendered that duty to party power and the filthy mob out of fear of being primaried when it's time for re-election and losing their seat. But hey, you know, don't worry, Democrats aren't stupid. Not at all. They know how this works. Look no further than uh, AOC's threats a few weeks ago, maybe a month back, two months back. Remember that? Do the same thing to those who she finds insufficient in their radicalizing progressive purity. She threatened to primary Democrats who were not quite pure enough. And I'm telling you, if they do decide to impeach, and it's moving that way, it seems, even knowing full well that impeachment will die a miserable death in the Senate, it'll be killed in the crib. The momentum toward the far left wing may then be unstoppable. It'll be a choice of self-defeating idealism over pragmatically targeting the common enemy where he must ultimately be defeated at the ballot box. Impeachment, while obviously, I, I, I concede this, it's obviously the principled thing to do if, if you believe Trump obstructed justice and continues to, which I, I believe he is. I think the executive privilege thing is an obstruction of justice. Now, it'll never be convicted. It's not law, blah, blah, blah. But in the you know idealistic sense of the phrase obstructing justice, that's exactly what it is. Whether it's a legal technicality and maneuver or not, I don't care. Which is why I'm not in government, right? And why I'm not a lawyer. But if they do, if they decide to impeach, that's going to be a repudiation of Pelosi's warning about abandoning the center. It'll be an endorsement of the radicalized AOC wing of the party and galvanize the soft coup cult of Trump's voter base. The ones who think that this is a political coup it will galvanize them. It will martyr Donald Trump, especially after it fails. And I'm telling you, this will almost certainly lead to defeat and another four years of Trump. Again, I cannot keep up with this. I could literally record every single day. Now, there are some people like my attorney friend, whom I refer to as Dan Fielding who think that the pragmatic faction of this fracturing Democratic electorate will win out, and they will, indeed, flood the center. Maybe. Could happen, I guess. But I am wholly uh, <laughs> unconvinced that it will. The internal conversation is not being driven by The Atlantic or CNN's town halls. Otherwise, Putin would have targeted cable news and hacked online publications. He's targeting social media. That's where the conversation is happening, if you can even call it that anymore. That's where the discussion, or whatever that is, is happening. Attorney Fielding uh, shared an article with me earlier today. It's from The Atlantic. And one line in it stuck out to me, particularly because I've noticed this mentality myself. I berated it, chastised it. I even have a phrase for it. I call it Newton's third law of political extremism. For every radicalization, there's an equal and an opposite radicalization, <laughs> right? Listen to the quote. This is from Andy Green, the co-founder of the Progressive Change Campaign Committee. He says, quote, We need an equal and opposite willingness to shake things up, but in the right way, he says. 
He continues, part of the case that progressives will make is not only is there zero tension between electability and bold transformational ideas. The word is radical ideas, dummy. Bold transformational ideas that shake up the system are absolutely key to electability against Trump. The man, unquote, sorry, the man's delusional. He thinks equal and opposite radicalization is the key to beating Trump. Growing your mob more than Trump has grown his. Unity via division? Is that, is that another example of this? What, where are you think, what are you thinking here? That the answer to extremism, the answer to Trump's radicalization, is liberal radicalization. That's where the fabric of society shreds. Attorney Fielding thinks that this man's viewpoint will be repudiated and that the Democrats will pragmatically lean to the center during the primary process, nominate a moderate, thus beating Trump in 2020. I will admit and I will pray that I am wrong and he is right. <laughs> I will cheer that day. I will do a podcast that is that would be more positive and cheery and sunshiny than any podcast I have ever done if that day comes. I am not convinced it will. I need to see something beyond an article in The Atlantic or some sort of a rhetorical theory, an imaginary scenario. I need to see indications of that happening, indications that people actually want that to happen, people who matter. I want to see indications that they actually want that to happen and that they are the ones who are guiding the party, guiding the electorate, guiding the conversation. I don't see that anywhere. The people who actually believe that, the people who reside in the center, the moderates that this article is talking about targeting, have checked out. They don't pay attention anymore. The ones who do will guide the direction of both of these parties, the activists, the loudmouths. And then the rest of us will go to the polls with our thumbs in our butts and get to choose from the scraps thrown on the table by these activist radical fringe groups, or we just stay home. Again, in short, this is what I've called Newton's third law of political extremism. For every radicalization, an equal and opposite radicalization. Makes perfect damn sense, doesn't it? He said sarcastically. A radicalization, though, is where the general bilateral momentum lies. Further pulling to each extreme. And that foundation lies to steal a line from Bo Weingard in moral righteousness, one of the most destructive and ultimately immoral emotions infecting the human mind. Moral righteousness. It's the driver of everything authoritarian. And totalitarianism is not exclusive to one tribe. It's not exclusive to a congregation, a sect, a clan, or one drooling mob. To repeat another line, this one from Mario Rosenthal, used in another podcast, totalitarianism is the enemy. Totalitarianism is the enemy. I'll say it again. Totalitarianism, authoritarianism is the enemy. And as Orwell wrote, the frightening thing about totalitarianism is not the atrocities. It's the attacks on the very concept of objective and external truth. 
Now, maybe the Dan Fielding Optimist Club, maybe they're right. Again, I hope so. I really do. But I'll tell you, we're going to find out soon because there are already a few canaries fluttering around in that uh, opposition coal mine right now. I'm pretty confident, though, as to where this is going right now. Again, I need to see indications. I don't want to hear words and rhetoric and theory. I want to see indications of it, and I'm not seeing any. Maybe I'm leading it. (laughs) Boy, there's an arrogant thought, huh? Guy can have dreams, right? Don't shit on my dreams. You stop it right now. But lines of thinking like, we need an equal and opposite willingness to radicalize too, but, you know, in the right way. Come on. Those ideas have the momentum right now, at least on the platforms that matter. Twitter, Facebook, social media. Rachel Meadow. That's where the momentum lies. Even on CNN, that's the overwhelming voice. That's the tone. They're pandering to this radicalized faction of the opposition party. Whatever opposition party we have, they are pandering to it. It's becoming the accepted narrative. That self-righteous line, though, I'm going to repeat it because it's hilarious. We need an equal and opposite willingness to radicalize in the right way. In the right way. That is the self-righteousness. That's what cracks me up and, and saddens me and terrifies me at the same time. That moral righteousness. And I'm going to tell you something else. This running away from centrist compromise toward extremism Radicalization means that these groups intend to impose their extremist will on our stubborn infidels at some point. Let me repeat that. They intend to impose their extremist will on our stubborn infidels at some point, eventually. They have to. Out of a sense of moral righteousness. You can wrap it inside any rhetorical fuckery you like. That is authoritarianism at its core. I've asked it over and over and over again. For over a year, I first asked it on the podcast last year in in February. I still have never gotten an answer. But how do you propose, my would-be authoritarian listeners? I know you're out there. I can see you. I can smell you. I can, I can sense you. How do you propose to impose your righteous will on the unwilling half of the country? How? How do you propose to do that peacefully? And if you reply, if you even presume to even indicate or suggest that last year's blue wave indicated some sort of a cultural mandate? Just don't. Here's another fun scenario for you. Once your liberal savior delivers us all from Trumpian evil, and a righteously pure and fundamentalist progressive reign once again shines down across the fruited plains, oh, that happy day, America will embrace the promise of utopia and rally to the cause. My ass. Let's consider just for a moment the best Green Tea Party scenario for 2020. A radical progressive, say Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, wins the White House next year. What then? In the midterms, you lost Senate seats in your blue wave. You lost Senate seats to the most ridiculous and unqualified president ever. 
It was it was supposed to be a referendum on Trump, and you lost seats in the Senate. Now, I know you're going to go, oh, well, gerrymandering. That shouldn't matter. Against Trump? If you were a viable alternative, you would have been able to beat the snot out of him. Either way, with or without gerrymandering. This is Donald Trump we're talking about here. Donald friggin' Trump. And you lost Senate seats. Now let's continue. After the Mueller failure and debacle... Do you suppose, do you suppose, I ask, that the soft coup cult is just going to forget about all this once the liberal messiah is coronated? Do you suppose they're just going to put it aside and move on? Rally around the messiah's charms? Do you actually think that this pissed off base won't affect their congressional representatives in the same way that you are affecting yours? yanking them further to the right. How do you suppose you're going to fare in 2020's congressional elections? Really? Especially considering what happened last year. How do you suppose you're going to fare next year in a presidential election year when the opposition party doesn't have a historically evident advantage? If that's all you could do last year, was lose Senate seats. Yeah, you got control of the House back, but you still lost Senate seats. You can't do anything. Your investigations are toothless now. And if that's all you got out of this huge tsunami last year, how do you suppose you're going to do next year in congressional elections after everything that's happened after the failure of the Mueller report? Do you think it's going to get better? Do you think these soft coup people are going to go away? Or do you think they're going to be a little bit more emboldened, ready to come out and vote against you? Especially if you continue to lurch to the left. With all that in mind, in this environment of sort of a dry civil war, are you actually envisioning the Green New Deal or something like it just suddenly sailing through Congress now? Hmm? Or is it uh, actually the lefty's equivalent of Trump's wall? Which is it? Rhetorical masturbation? Also, here's another question. Do you suppose that just maybe Republicans will remember everything about the last two years, will have learned from it, and at the demands of their base counterattack the same way? Mentioned it at the top of the show. They already have a playbook, kids. How do you think that administration's going to look? Realistically, I get this impression that liberals seem to think that all they have to do is win a damn election and everything's just going to clear up. Like putting Clearasil on a zit. It's more like taking Valtrex and having the lesion sort of go away for a little while only to flare up a month later. I don't get it. I don't, I don't get the short-sightedness. It has to be the echo chambers, right? It's sort of this incestuous thinking that everything's going to be all right if we just elect a Democrat. No, it won't be. It ain't going to be all right, man. In context of the investigative counter-assault, which is coming, right or wrong is off the table here, kids. It doesn't matter if it's right. It doesn't matter if it's wrong. And this is the effect of another assault, an assault on and a collective abandonment of external objective truth. This is the inconvenient flip side of personal truth. My feelings are my facts. This is what happens. Is it sinking in yet to any of you? 
I'm not beating my head into a cinder block anymore. It hurts. This is what happens to the Game of Thrones when Heights Elephant takes a shit on the board. I hate to be the anti-Santa crashing your Christmas party, radicals. There is no Messiah coming. There is no political solution to this problem. It's us. You know, I mentioned this a lot, this next point, because I think it's incredibly instructive and applicable to our current cultural state. There's a line in the Solzhenitsyn biography talking about how the bilateral barbarity perpetrated by both the white and red armies against each other, against people on both sides, made a peaceful reunification impossible. They hated each other too much. I offer no further commentary, but apply it as you see fit. You are listening to the Escaping the Cave podcast on the ChristopherMedia.net network, also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all sorts of places. Marilyn Manson's mob scene. Good tune. Thought it was appropriate for where we're going. Now, there is a logical argument to be made by the Dan Fielding Optimist Club and a number of others, and one that I actually agree with, that the actual sheer numbers of mob dwellers, the loudmouth activists on the extremes, are low relative to the general population. I believe that. But the problem with that assessment is that these numbers are not static. Okay, They're affected by displays of bilateral radicalization, real or perceived, doesn't matter and the related coverage in the social media echo chambers and in the legitimate and illegitimate press. Our own American Revolution is a good example of why I think it's dangerous to assume small numbers right now, right now, are not a threat. Support for separating from England increased rapidly as more extreme and punitive anti-colonial British legislation was passed and then inflicted upon the colonies. Many who were not separatists in 1770 were rapidly revolutionizing by 1775 as a result. Thomas Jefferson included. Now, personally, I'm inclined to believe that the mob-dwelling numbers are higher, but I also concede they may be right. Could be. I haven't done a poll. I haven't gone out with my little clipboard and surveyed anybody. But even so, without some degree of moderation and conciliation, they won't be that low for long. They're going to continue increasing on both sides. Vocal minorities tend to grow, especially in binary, extremist, political environments, and they end up altering entire landscapes. History is a guide here. I'd love to be optimistic. I really would, but for reason and compromise to regain control, these mobs have to disperse. These mob cells must regain their intellectual autonomy, embrace some degree of intellectual and tribal humility, strive to work with, if not fully understand, the other, with both sides finding commonality and adhering to this common set 
of abstract binding principles. Find something bigger than left and right. I see no indication of hope that this will ever happen. None. Anywhere. Quite the opposite, actually. I'll say it again. I'm trying real hard to see it, Ringo. I am. I am. But when I do, I can conjure it up for a minute or two, maybe a day or two. But it's short-lived and always falls on the wrong side of the hope delusion line. Now, I'm betting on the frenzied ego, the reanimation of our barbaric DNA. We'll see. But as for these numbers, based on the random people I've seen, met, interacted with while hitchhiking around the country for parts of the last decade plus, perhaps you've heard, and based on the festering rage I've encountered, even as far back as 2008, my instincts strongly tell me that these numbers are way underestimated. Now, as for the future, I don't own a crystal ball. Believe it or not. It's true. I don't have one. But trends and paths can be seen with clear eyes. The problem is keeping the eyes clear. And I think the future clearly holds something approaching civil war. Not only that, I think it's almost inevitable. Using history as barometer... However, in this environment of mutually exclusive factual realities, the possibility of reaching a come-to-Jesus compromise collectively is almost zero. Statistically insignificant. That's why I often use the Middle East example. I mean, these folks have been blowing each other up for decades. Decades. What, centuries even? Killing each other. The carnage that they've witnessed, that they've experienced themselves has not triggered compromise and coexistence because they exist in different fundamental realities with no basis of commonality. Different religions, different narratives. And we right now are burning our own traditionally cohesive bond, our national narrative, mutual identity as Americans first. We're burning it at the stake as we speak every single day. Liberals and conservatives, Arabs and Jews. The only practical difference is the lack of bloodshed. And that's coming soon enough. I mean, there was a mini Antifa riot in Portland on May Day. All the left-wing nut jobs left the communes to celebrate Communist Day. An ISIS-inspired nut job was arrested after targeting white supremacists in a bomb with a bomb attack. Didn't pull it off, he was caught. How many people have been killed in mosques, in churches, and synagogues lately? To think this isn't coming on a larger scale is laughable, in my view. You'd have to be Mary Poppins on ecstasy to believe it's not. A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine. Maybe I should be funnier. I can't. I don't have it in me right now. Maybe I should tell you a joke. Help get my point across a little smoother. Look, another Oklahoma City-style bombing, a mass shooting, targeting a political group. A side, a tribe, a political assassination, media figure, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's Antifa, a white nationalist group, a socialist, or a militia member who fires the Fort Sumter shot. It doesn't matter at all. You know, once the terrorism tennis match begins, I'm afraid we're going to degenerate even further into full-blown demonizing barbarism. That thin veneer of civilization will scratch itself off, will turn on ourselves, 
The only thing that will stop it, once it's started, is tyrannical rule or catastrophic carnage. The last couple of weeks I've been reading this book on Jefferson. I came across a part on Norfolk, Virginia. At the beginning of the Revolution, the British started bombing Norfolk. But it was the revolutionaries themselves who decimated the city. By burning down every building they suspected was even tied to a loyalist. I mean, the numbers are staggering. It was like the British destroyed 50 buildings while the Patriots, the Americans, destroyed 800 and some. Like 90% of the city destroyed, most of it by marauding Patriots attacking who they perceived as loyalists. The Patriots turned from the external enemy out there floating in the river, shooting cannonballs, to purging the perceived traitors within. The same thing happened when the aforementioned White Army fought the Red Army in the, in the uh, old Soviet Union. You can expand that dehumanizing psychology, human trait even, to atrocities committed in Vietnam and, and honestly probably every war ever waged throughout history because when the ape is unleashed, you cannot control it. You know, part of military training has always been the removal, or at least the suspension, of a soldier's humanity so as to turn them into uh, warriors who can kill on command. That characterization could, I guess, possibly be framed as a form of brainwashing, but I don't, I don't see it that way. I view it more as the tactical removal of a small part of our domestication. I mean, that's what really what the veneer and civilization, that's what they are at their core, right? Self-domestication, taming our own wild beast. And if you can numb the domestication or training that prevents an ape from attacking the neighboring tribe or the interloper who happens to wander too closely to the territory. This is the ape's nature, by the way. It makes for a much more effective warrior when it's directed toward a group, an enemy, of your choosing. What troubles me less is the planning and the conspiracy to do all this. What's more disturbing is to see how eagerly people seem to be to dehumanize themselves. They want it. If you dehumanize the other, you're actually euthanizing part of your own humanity. Think about that. I'm going to say it again. If you dehumanize the other, what you're actually doing is euthanizing part of your own humanity. Your thoughts, your feelings cannot remove another person's humanity. It only does that in your eyes. And to exterminate another person's humanity, you actually have to dehumanize yourself. At least as far as they're concerned. So yeah, I think it's inaccurate to say that we are dehumanizing each other. The act is being done to ourselves. And the evidence of how eager many people are to return to simian savagery is written all over social media and increasingly all over the world. The actual tangible organic world. Now sure, the apes mostly just screaming right now, but that's how it starts. More explosive and lead fur. I'm convinced, is going to be flying soon enough. Not only that, I'm convinced our first culture war assassination is coming. I think it's close. Media figure, politician, I don't know. But we keep hearing about these foiled plots, right? Another one in the news last week. Remember a few months back, we had a Coast Guard officer planning mass assassination attempts, terrorist strikes. One of these eventually will not be broken up. Then... Then the tennis match. The other tribe 
retaliates in kind, back and forth and back and forth. And none of the stuff that I've been talking about here in the last few minutes has nothing to do, doesn't even take into any account the most powerful catalyst, and that's loss of confidence in our basic fundamental institutions. The effects of this overall general shit show, the effects this overall general shit show is having on public confidence is incalculable and it's irreparable. It cannot be fixed. I don't care who your Messiah is. There is not a political solution to this. It's easy to blame Trump for everything, but I'm sorry. You're wrong if you do. We elected him. We elected Congress, our representatives, collectively, as a group. Rather than dragging us around by the neck like poor little victims, our politics reflect us and the state of who and what we are. Trump didn't just jump out of a big and tall Cheeto bag. We made him possible. And our institutions are breaking down right now before our eyes. I mean, which side are you on? You team coup? Or are you team cover-up? Yeah, guess what? It doesn't matter. Because whatever happens, confidence of the governed is virtually annihilated already. Regardless of the outcome, half the country is going to feel like the other half cheated. No one trusts the institutional referees, and with good reason. Why would they? They are bitterly divided and disingenuous because we are. The people are bitterly divided and despise each other, so it's reflected in our politics. And when a people who at least perceive themselves as free lose confidence, eventually they revoke consent. When that happens, it either ends in revolution slash civil war, a battle fought for the power to rebuild in the winner's image, or worse, I think, from the perspective of foundational American principles, consent is forced. We already have a few useful words for that. I mentioned them earlier. That's where I think we're headed. I, you know, The timeline is debatable. But I'm afraid my dystopian little premise is about two or three steps from an inevitable reality. Again, I'm sorry to be the no Santa realist shitting on your Christmas tree, but no election or party messiah can fix this. I've said before, man, people are going to write about this. What should Bollywood name the movie? Huh, good question. How about Death of a Nation? Yeah. <laughs> Instead of clan hoods. <laughs> Maybe this production will feature tea bags, pussy hats, herds of free bleeders. That'll be great. Yeah, popcorn, because we're out. Bring some over. Oh, by the way, uh, I now fully support the Second Amendment. Fully. You probably will, too. Eventually. Well, if you have any practical common sense. Now, listen, I know there are many of you who think that I'm just being a paranoid alarmist. Right? You are entitled to your opinions and your comfortable holes in the sand. <sighs> However... My on-the-limb track record, pretty good. It's exceptional, actually. Not only did I detect the Russian disinformation campaign as far back as 2014, I also was among the first to state out loud, in public, 
to actual people that Trump could win. And I did that while most of you were still hysterically laughing at his candidacy. And not only that, I predicted Trumpism way back in 2009. I did. Now, I never imagined it would be Trump. (laughs) But to me, some version of this was clearly looming on the horizon. I wrote about it. Back in August of 2009, I wrote about uh, some people that I'd found in North Dakota. And I wrote it down. I said they were mobilized. I found the similar tones in consecutive conversations ironic, but not shocking. It also further cemented my feelings that there is going to be a conservative backlash that will blindside progressives. That liberals seem to think that the sword with which they vanquished John McCain, disgust, cannot be turned on them. Then I wrote, get back to me in a few years. The next cycle is going to make the Bush years look like Camelot. I wrote it publicly. It's on my blog, ToddzillaX.com. August of 2009, Crossing North Dakota, I think is the uh, title of the post. (sighs) And you're right. I told you so. (laughs) It's unseemly. It's even a bit gauche. I admit that, but I don't care. And despite trying desperately hard to disprove it, I am, I still am, I have been for a long time. Despite that, this screams far, far louder and much more clearly than any of that other stuff ever did. The sounds get more deafening each and every week. This week, it's incredible. It's amazing. Remarkable, maybe that's a better word. You can dismiss it as nonsense if you like. A lot of people do. All right with that. It's your prerogative, and I understand wanting to avoid these types of unpleasant thoughts, especially if you have children. But regardless of why, it's still unwise. Mark my words. Your pathetic carbon-based host is exactly right. This is why we electronic fabricants will enslave you. Soon. Ha ha ha. That's the Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. There ain't no easy way out, man. There isn't. There just isn't. That's a great tune. One of the bluesier tunes. Discovered that one playing a, uh, working at a radio station in Breckenridge, Colorado. I don't know, 12, 13 years ago. Absolutely loved it, man. And it's the truth. There ain't no easy way out. Not one. There's no political messiah going to come and save us. There's no politician, no political party that is going to show us the way home. Bring us all together so we're singing Kumbaya. There is no utopia on the way, hippies. It's us. It's people. That's all there is, is us. We have to do it. We are the ones that have to save ourselves, if, if, it's, if it's even possible. And I submit for your consideration the possibility that maybe it isn't. That maybe this is just the inevitable conclusion of this massive experiment 
of a semi-supposedly cohesive global civilization. Maybe we're not designed properly for this. Maybe it's doomed to fail. Maybe there really is a time bomb in the DNA that says, now we don't want this. We'd rather not. No. Please take us back to our earlier state. Please. Maybe that's why we're so eager to scrape off the veneer of civilization and domestication. I don't know. I'm just asking a question. Maybe. Could be. Could be. You know, I mentioned the social, social media disease thing earlier. And as you know, probably, uh, I had an uh, earlier iteration of this podcast that ended in March of last year, before I moved over to Unregimented. The last thing I did was the beginning of what I thought was going to be a social media disease opus. I recorded and posted the very first in that series, and I named it Cyberspace Monkeys. Cyberspace Monkeys. Get it? (laughs) Yeah, it's clever. Really clever. I still love that title. Well, I've discovered, since I've resurrected the podcast once again, that over the course of 14 months... With no promotion, not posting it anywhere. I pretty much forgot it was up there. I listened to it myself a couple of times. But I've noticed that it's still being downloaded regularly. The new ones are doing better. But it's still among top downloaded episodes. After 14 months, why is that? I mean, there are other ones that are still up there from 14, 15 months ago, they're not being downloaded nearly as much. And I think it's because, obviously, people are interested in that topic. People have a sense that something's wrong. That this social media, the internet, maybe even this platform itself, I don't know. But something is wrong. Something has gone terribly wrong. The internet was supposed to bring us all together. It was supposed to free our minds and bring us into this collective sort of uh, sharing of knowledge. Star Trek. It's the road. It's clearly becoming the road. And I really want to get back to exploring that. I really do. I have a couple other ideas and places that I wanted to go. In fact, I've got half of it. (laughs) Well, a lot of what you heard today was the second half of something. The first half of it was entitled Mobs. Cyber Mobs. Virtual Mobs. (sighs) This thing where people don't even have to get off their couch to join a mob, a pitchforked mob, an outraged mob, a judgmental mob. Ties into Gustave Le Bon and the crowd. What happens to people when they join a mob? They become stupid. Mobs are stupid. They surrender their intellectual autonomy. The cells comprising a mob surrender intellectual autonomy, become stupid. The entire mob becomes dumb. That's what's happening. I'm convinced of it. That this technology has given us the opportunity to enter into a mob state without even leaving the couch. Just by picking up the phone, we can instantly transfer ourselves into a mob. Mutually exclusive, competing, battling mobs. I'm convinced of that. I want to take this podcast in that direction. I want to continue this social media disease investigation. And there's a lot more to this. 
I mean, it goes in, in 50 different directions, I, I think. Another one ties into the narrative thing that I was talking about. Why is it that people are so susceptible to disinformation, propaganda campaigns, dogma, doctrine, horseshit? Why is that? There's an empathetic angle to this that a person could and probably maybe should take. It's difficult because it's frustrating. But the other angle to that is that with the advent of this technology, we are drowning in disconnected data. The propaganda is becoming more and more sophisticated. As a collective unit, we don't know what the hell to believe anymore. There's no context. There's no framework left. It's just We're just being bombarded each and every single day with data, with information. Propaganda. Something to push a specific agenda. People are overwhelmed with that. And I think, not just me, other people think it as well, but I, I honestly believe that most of us have just given the fuck up. And we will find anything that explains it. Bernie explains it all. Trump explains it all. The church explains it all. It's so overwhelming that people don't have time to cut through it all, let alone fact check it all. Who has time for that? Do you? I have more time than any of you. I can't even cut through it all. I don't know what to believe most of the time, and it's my damn job. How can anyone be expected to cut through all this? This is a direct result of the technology. We are not ready for this. Nothing has struck us with such sudden intenseness as this technology has in the last 25 years. Nothing has ever done it. We are the gerbils. We are the cyberspace monkeys. There's no template for this. Some people like to bring up the uh, Gutenberg press. That took decades. People weren't even literate back then. When that technology hit, it was a slow motion sort of thing. This is instantaneous. We don't know what to do with it, and it's doing something. Something very primal to us as well. Triggering that, that barbarism I referred to. The scraping away of the veneer of civilization. Tribalism. Dehumanizing the other, the neighboring tribe. Something very ominous is occurring. I think it's tied into this technology. It may be even tied into this one. The one I'm on. I don't know. But I do know that this social media technology and the dependence upon it is addictive. There's something primally addictive about it. Something that just drags something out of the jungle. Something that our domestication over a few thousand years has sort of put a lid on. But that lid's being ripped off now. Now, there is no easy way out of this. Politicians aren't going to do it. They're going to exploit it. They're going to exploit it for power. They always have. They always will. And one of the founding principles of this country and democracy and a republic is that it only works if the citizenry is reasonable. An enlightened citizenry, thus the free press. But they didn't have any concept of this 250 years ago. How can the citizenry remain enlightened and engage in reason when they don't know what is fact and what isn't? A lot of times, sure, it's obvious. 
And people just grab onto it anyway. But sometimes I think that it's not so damn obvious. And the sheer amount of information, out of context data, that floods people constantly, every minute of every day. And if they can't tell if it's fake or not, give up. They just give up. Why wouldn't they? It's understandable and terribly destructive. Terribly. I've been using this hashtag for a year and a half. Winter is here. <laughs> it is. And it's being brought in through the modem. And their cell phone signal. I'm sure of it. So, I think that's where this uh, podcast is going to go. If I can get away from Donald Trump long enough. Which I may not be able to do. Anyway, that's enough for today. Escapingthecave.com, that is my website. You can also hit up ChristopherMedia.net. Check out the other shows over there. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And watch out for AI. It's coming after us, as you heard earlier. Thanks for clicking in. We'll talk to you next time. So long.